Good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys here today. If you're visiting with us, we hope you feel welcome. We're really glad you're here. And I'm excited to get into God's Word this morning. We're in the middle of this series called Love Your Neighbor. And in this series, we're looking to Jesus, and He's teaching us how to love. But we don't want to stop at just learning lessons here. We want to go out and do this. That's what yesterday was about. Yesterday, we hosted the Campbell County Middle School staff picnic right outside here. Uh, we had a little bit of rain, but then the sun came out, and I think everybody had a good time. And I want to thank all of the volunteers who served and uh, just worked to help our guests feel welcome yesterday. And that's just one example of things we're doing at, at church this month, particularly in the month of August. Uh, we're just doing our best to show God's love all over our community. And we know God wants good things for our neighbors. And we want good things for our neighbors too. We, we want them to experience all of God's blessings. And of course, the greatest blessing of all is to know and follow Jesus. Around here, it's common knowledge that our mission as a church is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. A couple weeks ago, Jared Perkins shared some results from a congregational survey we did a couple months ago. And I want to share a few more of those results today. Uh, we asked the question, how well do you feel you understand the mission of Plum Creek? And 78% of those who responded said, I fully understand, and I am engaged in the mission of Plum Creek. And that is awesome. Uh, we see that as a big win. On the other side, though, uh, there was a group that said, I know the mission, but I'm not really all that engaged with it. That was 20% of people said that. And the good news here is the first part of that statement. I know the mission. So that means you combine these two responses, 98% of people who uh, responded to this survey, they know what our mission is, but we still have work to do, don't we? Because God calls every follower of Jesus to take part in this mission. Everyone has a role to play, and I am praying that this sermon will help us here. Today, we're going to get some practical ideas about how to love our neighbors in a way that helps lead people to Jesus. So let's dive in. Last week, we looked at the story of a dinner party. This little dinner party, it took place in the village of Bethany. Mary and Martha, two sisters, they invited Jesus and his friends over to share a meal. And we learned a lot of great lessons from that small get-together. Today, though, we're going to look at a very different dinner party. Last week's party was respectable. Uh, now, there was some family conflict, but it, it was just a nice event. Today's party, it's a little rowdier, a little rougher crowd. Uh, one of the main characters in this story is a man named Matthew. And we read this story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and pull that up, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 9 through 13. And so follow along with me. Here we go. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, 
And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, I, I need to stop right there. What we just saw, that happened repeatedly in the Gospels. You go back earlier in this same book in Matthew chapter uh, 4, uh, Jesus encountered a group of fishermen. And he walks up and he says to those fishermen, follow me. And immediately, these guys drop their nets, they leave their jobs, and they go follow Jesus. And then the same thing happens here in Matthew 9. Uh, this is the author of this book telling his own story. And he says, yeah, Jesus just came up to me and he said, follow me. And I did. I, I left my job. And I began a whole new life. So now let's think about this. Why did these guys make such a drastic decision at what seems like the drop of a hat? Were their old lives really that terrible? Well, in the case of Matthew, I think he probably did have a rough life, partially because of his career choice. He was a Jewish tax collector working for Rome. So if you're in that position, in that culture, you're working for the evil empire. And your fellow Jews would have despised you. They, they would have considered you a national traitor. Also, a greedy cheat. Also, they would have thought of you as unclean because you had to associate with Gentiles very closely. So, Matthew's job definitely had its downside. But, he was making a living. Quite possibly, he was making a very good living. And that would have been difficult to, to leave all that behind. Now, think about this in, in our setting. Can you imagine, can you imagine if, if you were at your job doing whatever it is you do, and then one day some, somebody suddenly comes up to you and says, hey, it's time to get out of here. Follow me. You're going to start a new life right now. How would that sound? I think for some of us, we might think that sounds pretty good. But how many of us would actually quit and leave everything behind? Probably not many of us. But that's what Matthew did. This is really important. He makes this big decision. And then let's read on. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, let's, let's think about what just happened. After Matthew decides to follow Jesus, he throws a party. And this is no Sunday afternoon church potluck. Like, like I said, this, this party is probably a little rowdy. And Matthew does the same thing that we do, right? When you have a party, who do you invite? You invite your friends. Matthew's friends just happen to be tax collectors and notorious sinners. And, and you see the point here, right? Matthew wants his friends to meet Jesus. He wants them to find what he has found. But all of a sudden, these Pharisees show up. The Pharisees are Jewish religious leaders. 
And they don't like this party. Not one little bit. And we need to pay close attention to these Pharisees, especially the church. But really, all of us need to pay attention here because this is something that's happened again and again ever since the time of Jesus. People will have some kind of encounter with Jesus. They'll come into contact with Him, and they completely miss Him. They, they, they miss His message. They don't get what He was about, and that's what's going on here. This happened in the first century, and it also happens today, and we don't want to make that same mistake. So, so let's really try to understand this. First of all, let's go back and answer this question. Uh, according to what we just read, who did Jesus come to forgive and to save? It's a one-word answer. You know what it is? Sinners. So who qualifies as a sinner? Who is that? Well, if you ask the Pharisees, they thought they had this figured out. The Pharisees thought the sinners were people like Matthew's friends. And when Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, the Pharisees thought they were the righteous ones. They thought Jesus was saying, now you guys don't need me. You're okay. You're good. I came to help sinners like this group I'm sitting here eating dinner with right now. Now, that's not what Jesus meant. But even if he did mean that, the Pharisees still would have been upset because they thought a respectable teacher had no business hanging out with scum like that. In that culture, when you shared a meal with someone, you were sending a strong message. You were saying, these people are my friends, and we are on the same level. The Pharisees didn't think of themselves on the same level as Matthew's friends. They wouldn't be caught dead eating dinner at his house. Unfortunately, they, they completely misunderstood what, what Jesus was saying here. They thought he was saying, Pharisees, you don't need my help. You're already righteous. But that can't be true. When we look at something Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, it proves that's not what he meant. Uh, this, this Mark chapter 10, this is where a, a man came up to Jesus and he called him good teacher. And then Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good or righteous except God alone. The truth is, we are all sinners. Right now, if you are far from God, you're running away from Him, you're a sinner. If you are a Christian and you're doing the best you can to follow Jesus, you're still a sinner, but you've been saved by the grace of God. So that means every one of those Pharisees is a sinner. But if that's the case, why did Jesus say, I have not come to call the righteous? Who's he talking about there? Is that just a hypothetical statement since no human is righteous? Well, I'll tell you one idea that makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's very likely that people is, uh, Jesus is talking about people who consider themselves as righteous, people who think of themselves as good. These people are too proud to, to admit that they're spiritually bankrupt. So, there's no point in Jesus calling them 
They're not going to listen. They don't think they need Him. They think they have the ability to save themselves. They look at the world and they divide people into two categories, good and bad. And they place themselves in that good category and they try to prove to themselves and other people and God Himself that they belong in this category by their good works, by all the rules they follow. They also look at different sins and they divide sins into not so bad and really bad. And how do you decide which sin goes into which category? Well, if you're a Pharisee, it's pretty easy, right? My sins are the ones that are not so bad. But the truth is, the Pharisees were condemned by their sin in the same way that the tax collectors were condemned by their sin. So Jesus says to these Pharisees, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, we should try to figure this out uh, too. What does Jesus mean when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? Well, this is a quote from the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament. It's actually a message from God to the people of Israel, and Hosea is just delivering this message. So it's God who said, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Basically, you can try to impress God with your sacrifices and your good works, but you will never gain His approval that way. You, you don't have the ability to save yourself or to become good enough to, to reach God's standard on your own. And most of the Pharisees never understood that truth. But when you do, when you do understand that truth and you understand the message of Jesus, you, 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 uh, you learn what mercy is about. And you'll go through four stages. In stage one, you say, without God's mercy and forgiveness, I'm on death row. Now, what is mercy? Mercy means you deserve punishment, but you don't get the punishment that you deserve. But in stage one, you say, I deserve punishment. I am on death row. I am condemned, and I earned it. I'm spiritually bankrupt. Now, the Pharisees, they were too prideful to admit this truth. That's stage one. In the second stage, you realize God has offered me mercy, even though I didn't deserve it. How did he do that? Well, because of God's great love for us, he sent Jesus into this world. Jesus went to the cross, and he died to take the punishment that we deserved. Our sins have been paid for, and in that way, God offered us mercy. Then you move on to stage three. You realize who Jesus is. You realize what he's done, and then you respond to his call through faith. The, the, the call to accept that mercy and salvation. And then you say, I've accepted it. I've accepted God's gift of mercy. And in this stage, you, you, you have this peace that comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven. And then finally, in stage four, you go on to do what was unthinkable for the Pharisees. You say, since I have received mercy... I will show that same mercy to others. God didn't give me what I deserve, so I'm not going to give other people what they deserve. 
Jesus showed us what this looked like. He showed us at that dinner at Matthew's house. But for many Christians, this final stage, it's extremely challenging. Uh, it's very easy, very common for Christians to get tripped up in the way we relate to other people who are not Christians. There are a lot of ways to get this wrong. So I want to take a minute and think about how we can follow the example of Jesus, what he shows us here in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to do this in kind of a visual way. This is how I, I tend to think. Several years ago, I came up with an image that, that helps me uh, process the different ways that Christians can interact with the rest of the world. And the image I have is a row of faders, like what you see on a, a soundboard or a mixing console. So let's get this image up on the screen. There's our little soundboard. We have three channels, and each one of those channels represents a, a specific category. Uh, channel number one, that represents the amount of contact Christians have with the rest of the world. Uh, now, we're going to start moving faders here, and we'll take that first one and, and move it all the way down. So that's an extremely low level of contact. And for some Christians, this is the plan. Uh, as much as possible, they, they want to just be removed from the rest of the world. That, that feels like the safe thing to do, to, to live in a bubble of church friends, avoid deep relationships with people who are far from God. And I want to be clear, it's very important to have an inner circle of friends who are a good influence on you. It's very important to have close friends who encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. That's vital, no doubt about it. But total isolation from the world? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus ate with sinners. And the takeaway here is little to no contact equals little to no influence. Not going to make much of a difference. But let's, let's look at channel two now. This fader represents the level of distinction between a Christian and the rest of the world. And when we say distinction, we're talking about like how different a Christian is. And, and with that, we don't necessarily mean you have to be super weird. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he says, you should shine like stars in a dark world. You should stand out, but you should stand out in the same way that Jesus stood out. So now, what if we move this second fader extremely low? What would that mean? That means this particular Christian is not really living differently than anybody else, doing the same kind of things, living the same kind of life. And what happens in a case like this? Well, I'm sure you've seen it before. Uh, here's the result of this setting. A high level of contact and a low level of distinction, that leads people away from Jesus. I mean, if I'm outside the church, why would I consider Christianity if I see that it hasn't made any difference in your life? I mean, if you're just like me, I might as well stick with the life I already have. Shoot, I like sleeping in on Sundays. I'll just keep doing that. See, this is not just a neutral scenario. This leads people away from Jesus, and that's a serious thing. 
But there's another way Christians sometimes lead people away from Jesus, and it's very common. It's all too common. We have to talk about the third channel here. This, this represents the spirit of a person, and, and this can go two different ways as well. Uh, up at the top is a loving spirit. Move that fader all the way down, and it's a very judgmental spirit. So let's look at this scenario now. What if we keep that first fader at a high level of contact, keep the second one at a high level of distinction, but then move the third fader down all the way to a completely judgmental spirit? Does that remind you of anyone? Pharisees, right? Have you ever seen someone like that present day? Have you ever been someone like that? We've, we've all seen extreme examples of this. Uh, a while back, I, I saw a website for um, an association of street preachers. And this website is for anyone who likes to stand on a corner, pick up a sign and a megaphone, and just start yelling at strangers, telling them how bad they are. And it was uh, a little bit disturbing. They had a picture of one preacher standing on a sidewalk, and he was wearing a T-shirt that said, Ask me why you deserve hell. It's very inviting, isn't it? And I think we can all agree, that's not what Jesus did. We want to follow His example. So along with that, I was asking myself a difficult question this week, and I encourage you to ask that question too. It's pretty challenging. Ask yourself, when I meet sinners who are far from God, are they drawn to me? And if not, why not? Because they were certainly drawn to Jesus. See, if we've got high contact, clear distinction, but a judgmental spirit, that leads people away from Jesus. And I'm convicted by that. I don't want anyone to pick up a judgmental spirit from me. That's something I'm praying for. I, I know I've gotten that wrong in the past, but I'm praying that I won't follow that example, the example of the Pharisees. So you know what we need to do, right? We need to have all three of those faders all the way up. That's what Jesus did. High contact, clear distinction, and a spirit of love. That kind of life leads people toward Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you've struggled with Christianity, maybe you've been skeptical because you've encountered some faders that were off in one direction or another, and I'm sorry about that. Please understand, the church doesn't always represent Jesus well. We don't always get it right, but I also know that many of us sincerely want to love people the way Jesus loved people. We want good things for our neighbors. We want to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's the greatest blessing of all. That's our mission. And we can't underestimate what God might do through us. Don't underestimate what God might do through you. Everyone has a role to play in this mission. A few years ago, uh, the Institute for American Church Growth asked more than 10,000 people this question. They asked, what was the biggest factor that led to you coming to Christ and to your church? Guess what they said? 79% responded, a friend or a relative invited me. Not necessarily a preacher, 
or a minister or some professional. It's just ordinary followers of Jesus being used by God. And for that to happen, to be the kind of influence that God wants us to be, we need to have those three faders all the way up. But we're not able to do this by our own power and our own strength. We need help. We need the power of God's Holy Spirit working in us. You need the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out so that you can become more like Jesus. That's the plan. That's God's plan, but we have to be open to it. So we need to ask this on a regular basis every day. God, please work in me. Change my heart. Help me be more loving. Help me go out and be the light. Help me to stand out in a good way. Now, earlier I said we'd look at some practical ideas about how to love our neighbors in a way that leads people to Jesus. And of course, when we think about this word neighbor, uh, we can define that in a very broad way. Uh, Your neighbor could be somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with. Uh, Your neighbor could be a friend that you hang out with or a relative or the person who cuts your hair. Uh, we We can have a general definition of the word neighbor, but in this series... We're especially focusing on our literal neighbors, the people who live right around us. And in the first week of this series, we all had a challenge to identify our eight closest neighbors. And this is something we can all do. Even if you live out in the country and they're not necessarily close to you, we can all identify our eight closest neighbors. But I want to take another step here. I want to think about these neighbors And I I encourage you to put each of your neighbors into one of three categories. And here are the three categories. You got strangers, acquaintances, and people you have a relationship with. Now, if you're like me, you have neighbors that fall into uh, all three of those categories. And remember, we're not talking about everyone here. We're focusing on our eight closest neighbors. And the goal is, whenever possible is for strangers to become acquaintances and for acquaintances to become uh, people we have a relationship with, to to become friendships. Now, we all know you can't force relationships. You can't make someone be your friend, but we can create environments where friendships are, are likely to grow, where they have the chance to develop. So on a very practical level, I want to share some strategies that can help us move through these categories. And I realize some of you already have this covered. You already have great relationships with your neighbors. But for some of us, this this might be intimidating. It's hard to know where to start. It might feel a little awkward or unnatural. And if that's how you feel, that's okay. But the truth is, anyone can do this. Even if you're intimidated, even if you're an introvert, So let's look at a few strategies. We'll start with that first transition from strangers to acquaintances. The basic strategy here is learn names and meet people. Those were the first two challenges of this series, right? The individual challenges. And yes, these things may seem very basic and elementary, but it's, it's easy for us to skip these basic steps. And if you're still working on these challenges, I have some helpful tips for you. Uh, Now, I have to say, my best coach in this area has been my wife, 
Hannah. Uh, she just does a great job connecting with our neighbors. And some of the things she does, it, it's extremely simple. Uh, for example, at, at Christmas time, Hannah and a lot of times the kids will help put together goodie bags with cookies, candies, whatever. And then we go around as a family, uh, door to door, and we deliver those bags. And it's just a non-threatening way to be kind and reach out and build relationships. Hannah also looks for other opportunities, too. If, if one of our neighbors uh, has a baby or if one of them is sick, she'll often uh, make a bowl of soup, bake a loaf of bread, and go deliver that. And every little step like that is a chance to show people we care. So what about that second transition? How can we move from acquaintance to relationship? Well, obviously, there are many ways to go about this, but... One of the great things we can do is to follow the example that we just saw in Scripture. We can have a Matthew party. There's, there's no need to make this complicated. You can just invite a neighbor, invite a family over for dinner, grill out in the backyard, whatever works. But you could also go a little bigger. You could get some neighbors together and plan a block party. And once again, I need to give a shout out to Hannah. She's my love-your-neighbor coach. <laughs> Several years ago now, Hannah decided that we should have a simple block party on our street, Willow Creek Drive. So she, got, she took the initiative. She got some neighbors involved, and they made it happen. And you know what? It was a lot of fun. And after that first year, we decided the Willow Creek uh, Drive block party should be an annual event. And at this point, we have some traditions. Uh, we usually have uh, some kind of food contest where every family makes a pot of chili or an appetizer or a pie. And then we get together and we sample what everybody made and we vote on our favorites. It's, it's a lot of fun. Give out prizes. Uh, we also have activities for kids. Uh, one year we had uh, an inflatable in the cul-de-sac. It's just a good time. And it was very cool. Uh, we have some great neighbors who took the ball and ran with it, and they became the point people, and we just helped. And throughout this whole process, relationships and friendships are built. We're just trying to love our neighbors with no strings attached and see where God leads from there. And over the years, it's been cool to see God work. For example, a while back, one of our friends down the street had a sister who was extremely sick, and naturally she was very concerned. And you should know, as of right now, this woman and her husband are, are not Christians. And that's why we were very surprised when they walked down to our house and they asked if we could pray for her sister. And it was an amazing thing. I had the privilege to pray with these friends in the name of Jesus right in front of our house, I don't, I don't know where God will lead that relationship from here, but we genuinely love these people. And we hope and pray that they see Jesus in us. So, where do we go from here? Well, as, as we look at our challenges this week, we're doing the same thing we've been doing. And every week of this series, we have a church-wide action step and an individual action step. And on the church level, we just encourage you to participate in one of these events we have coming up, like uh, the Blood Drive this Tuesday, two days from now, or Friday, August 18th, the Campbell County High School football tailgate. 
Uh, we would still love to have you volunteer at one of these events, and you can sign up at plumcreek.org neighbor. And while you're on that page, make sure you check out the other events that are coming up. Uh, Monday, August 21st, a week from tomorrow, we're going back to those neighborhoods where we had our prayer walks, and we're sending a Kona ice truck to each neighborhood, and we're just giving out free Kona ice. And if you participated in one of those prayer walks, we'd love to see you go back to that same neighborhood where you prayed. But even if you weren't on a prayer walk team, you're not left out here. Uh, you could still sign up and, and just pick a neighborhood, uh, and be there on Kona ice night, and be a friendly face. On Sunday, August 27th, right here after church, we're partnering with Master Provisions. We're doing a big clothes packing event, and we're sending clothes to people in need. And then on Wednesday, August 30th, we have a group selling concessions, working the gate at a Pendleton County High School soccer game. And with any of these events, make sure you sign up, plumcreek.org slash neighbor, and we'll make sure you get all the details. And we'll also make sure you get one of those cool Love Your Neighbor shirts, and you can wear that while you're serving. Now, your individual challenge is to do exactly what we've been talking about today. Host a Matthew party. And there are lots of ways to go about this. You can start small, but we specifically encourage you to throw a block party. Uh, that's a great way to get a lot of people involved. And we also have a suggestion for you. We, we suggest that you schedule your block party sometime on Labor Day weekend. And there's a couple of reasons that we say this. First, <laughs> if you don't jump on this fairly quickly, it's easy to put it off and put it off until it just doesn't happen at all. But second, if you do have your block party on Labor Day weekend, you can invite your neighbors to join us here at Plum Creek for our September sermon series, which is about family and relationships. And, man, when it comes to family, just about all of us need help, right? Maybe with marriage or with parenting or with singleness or whatever. And God's Word has the help that we need in our homes and our families, and we all know people who could benefit from that help. So pray about who you might invite to join us in September. But these are the challenges, our two challenges for this week. Sign up for an event or start planning your block party. And at the end of the day, we're, we're just praying that God will use Plum Creek to love our neighbors well and follow the example of Jesus. And this is not something we want to do just in August or September. We want to be doing this every month until Jesus comes back. And if you are a part of this church, man, join us. Be a part of this mission. If you are not yet part of this church, if you have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, we invite you to do what Matthew did. Leave your old life behind and run to him. Live this new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for taking the initiative. You loved us first. And we love you because you first loved us. And I pray that we would follow your example and take the initiative here in our community and reach out and show people that we do care, that we want them to experience all of your blessings. And Lord, we pray for your help that we would represent you well. Lord, we need your help to do that.
And Lord, if there's someone listening right now who needs to follow the example of the disciples and, and just to you, I pray that they would do that as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.